And hello and welcome to The David Reeves Show. I'm your host, David Reeves. We have something special for you this week. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Steve Green of the Charisma Podcast Network. We discussed all sorts of things. Uh, He asked me questions about hummingbirds and animal biology. We got into paleontology just a bit. And so normally, uh, you know, it's the other way around. I'm the one asking questions. But today I thought we would bring you this special content. Sometimes you get a little extra insight um, with the questions that Dr. Green uh, had the chance to ask me over this podcast. So with no further ado, Dr. Steve Green. Hello again, everyone. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. Have I got a treat for you today? We're going to have science class. Oh, it ain't going to be that kind of science class you heard way back whenever you took it. We're going to have a man of God, David Reeves, who's devoted his entire life to researching and revealing God's fingerprints of design through the universe. Now, think about that. You know, a well-trained, well-educated scientist who begins to see the fingerprint of design. He's the president of the largest media ministry in the world. He focuses on origins science. That's going to open a lot of ears. And it might be the kind of podcast you keep in your phone and you play it for the young folks in your life who are still studying creationism and need to understand the truth behind it as opposed to maybe what they're learning in school. He uses his well-known signature combination of science and history. Think about that. You're Two toughest subjects, I'm repeating it to me, science and history put together. I mean, okay, I'm done. Let me out of here. But, but I love it, and I love how he does it. I, allow, I love how he makes it come alive. You're in for a treat today. He makes the Bible and Christianity come alive as he inspires audiences all over the world. He's got a weekly TV show called Creation with David Reeves. It airs to hundreds of millions globally on TBN. You probably know him from TBN. He's an expert in science, the Bible, and he's a news columnist and author of the books Wonders Without Number and 21 Verses Backed by Science. I've got that book in my hands. I've been carrying it with me over the weekend and throughout this week in preparation for today just to be able to even sit in the same room with him. Of course, we're not doing that. We're on the phone. But to be able to talk with him intelligently about what he knows. And uh, you're going to hear that today. He is seen every day on Christian television. His work has been featured on History Channel, DirecTV, TBN, CBN. It's an alphabet M. In. If, he, if there's a TV station, he's probably been on it. And of course, he's been on Dr. James Dobson's radio programs and many more. He's the founder of the world's only TV network dedicated to science and Bible history. The Genesis Science Network, if you haven't heard about it, find it. It's going to bless your heart. He's garnered millions of views on social platforms, his Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. It just continues to grow. People absolutely love what he has to say. And he's got those that maybe don't agree with him, but they can't study very long without they're going to have to answer some pretty tough questions. He captures the attention of Christians and skeptics of all ages. With his energy, and you're going to hear that today, his enthusiasm, David's number one goal is to awe those he meets with the incredible accounts of discovery. You can't look through those big telescopes without that word awe coming about. He's got biblical accuracy along with his science. 
He shows us that each person is wonderfully made with purpose, a biological miracle from our designer. His signature phrase for the past 14 years is one of my favorites. It's Psalm 19.1, the first half, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I think that's one of the reasons that Paul and others say that, you know, you're without excuse. Look up. There's your story. That's what you need to know, especially if you study science and you understand a lot more about what we're going to hear today from David Reeves. Again, I want to refer you to the podcast that he has on our network. It's called The David Reeves Show, Wonders Without Limit. And of course, he's written the book 21 Verses Backed by Science. We're going to get to both of those today. And right now, I just want to welcome David Reeves to the Green Lines podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Steve. It's I'm, great to be here. I'm glad that was the short version of your bio, brother. <laughs> it was. I could talk about you for the whole show. You've done so much. But you know, you know, we're going to start. I want to start somewhere different because you really opened my eyes to something. And because I'm an amateur photographer, and I've studied hummingbirds out my window and from uh, places that I've set up in my yard to photograph hummingbirds, and then I begin to read that you're an expert in hummingbird design. So we've got to start there, if you don't mind. What have you discovered about these little birds that points us back to God? Yeah, well, you know, that's actually a, kind of a funny story because I wasn't always an expert. I haven't always been interested in in hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. But uh, a few years back, I produced uh, a little documentary that was uh, submitted to the largest Christian film festival in the world at the time, uh, and it made it all the way to semifinalists. And it was completely unrelated to hummingbirds. But I showed up for the awards festival, and I just so happened to have a few little promotional DVDs with me. And I passed those out to random people, and I had no idea whose hand I stuck it in. But when I got back, um, back to Tennessee, a few months went by, and all of a sudden I got a call. And this producer on the other end of the phone said, David, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm a documentary producer and you stuck a DVD into my hand at that festival. He said, I didn't watch it for, for months, but uh, once I finally got around to it, I noticed that your area code and mine, they're the same. We're neighbors. And he said, David, can I take you to, to lunch? And I said, well, sure. So I didn't know what he wanted to talk about, but uh, I go to lunch and um, he slaps a three-page outline in front of me on the table, and he said, we are making a documentary feature-length with a custom soundtrack and slow-motion photography all about hummingbirds, and I would like for you to host and narrate it. And wow. I was taken aback for a second because, again, this is not my specialty. I said, well, now I should make one thing clear. You know, I believe that these hummingbirds didn't just happen by chance. I think they were designed by God. Yes. And he said, oh, certainly, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah. I said, well, there's there's one other thing that you should know. You know, I mean, hummingbirds are small and they can hover, but what in the world are we going to spend the, the rest of the hour of this documentary talking about? I mean, aren't they pretty simple little creatures? Well... As a result of studying uh, and researching about these little birds, I was I couldn't find out how much <laughs> I did not know about these creatures because 
you know, we enjoy seeing them hover near our bird feeders or yep. fly past our window at incredible speeds. But they're, they're the smallest bird on earth, the smallest warm-blooded creature. And mm-hmm. yet they're flying 34 miles per hour. They're flying forwards, backwards, side to side, hovering. And yes. at birth, they weigh less than a post-it note placed in the palm of your hand. Wow. Think about how tiny that is. That's some pretty good engineering, brother. <laughs> well, it has to be to to be able to enable those to hover. Now, the the really neat thing about hummingbirds, well, there's a lot of neat things, but one of the most spectacular is that they fly from flower to flower collecting nectar, and they can tell just by tasting that nectar what the sugar content is. <laughs> now, if it's kidding? not at least 10% sugar, at least 10% sugar, they move to the next flower because you see it's built inside of them. It's instinctual in them that less than 10% sugar will not maintain their super fast metabolism with a wing that is beating, not up and down, a wing that is beating in a figure eight motion 80 times per second. Wow. Are you kidding me? No, you know, a few weeks ago I, I started getting curious and I said, you know, I, I bet you the, the fastest drummer in the world can't come very close to that. And so I looked it up in the Guinness World Book of Records. And sure enough, the fastest drummer in the world in the Guinness World Book of Records can drum. Now, this is just up and down, not in the hummingbird's figure eight pattern, <laughs> but just up and down 10 beats per second. 10 beats a second. And the hummingbird is beating its wings 80 times every time we snap our fingers, every second to be able to hover. Now, Dr. Green, do you think that takes engineering and design? It, it takes something of a miracle status that we couldn't even begin. I don't know if a computer could have built it. No, we've tried. We have tried <laughs> to create little micro-machines that will flap its wings, and we just fail in every sense. Now, here's, here's the unique thing. Because of that fast of a wing beat, um, the the heart has to beat about 1,200 beats per minute. And listen, I don't know about you, but if I my heart beats a couple of hundred beats per minute, I probably ought to be headed to the emergency room because something's gone yeah. wrong. You're in a little trouble. Yes, you're in trouble. But the hummingbird is designed that way. And yet, every time the hummingbird settles down at night, it should die. I mean, it really should not make it through the night without continually getting a new source of energy, a new source of nectar. And yet we still see hummingbirds, so we know something's going on. Now we know what's going on. There is a miracle mechanism built inside a hummingbird, and it's called torpor. And torpor Spell that. slows it. Uh, it's called torpor, T-O-R-P-O-R. Okay. It's almost like hibernation in bears, but it is so much more amazing because these birds, when they settle down at night, remember, they would die if they did not slow their metabolism down. If they settle down at night, their metabolism goes to one-fifteenth of normal, and this little miracle mechanism we call torpor, it slows their heart from 1,200 beats per minute to 35 beats per minute. Hmm. Think about this. If that bird didn't have that feature built inside of it from the first day of its existence, it wouldn't be alive. Hummingbirds would never make it past the first night 
if they didn't have this feature. So how is it supposed to happen by chance over millions of years of these evolutionary processes? It can't. It can't make it past the first night without this feature. And the only one who can design this feature, it can't evolve. It doesn't have enough time to evolve. The only way this can happen is if we have a grand designer, an engineer, so much bigger than we can possibly imagine, who created the hummingbird complete from day one, including with the ability to slow its heartbeat down. That's amazing. When do we first uh, know of their existence on Earth? Is there any charting of that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we actually find uh, hummingbirds uh, in the fossil record in the, the Oligocene um, layers in Europe, by the way. Now, hmm. today, you know, for those of your podcast listeners who might be overseas, uh, Europe doesn't have hummingbirds. Asia does not have hummingbirds. Only the Americas have hummingbirds today. But we know that hummingbirds must have gotten off of Noah's Ark 4,500 years ago, approximately. Yes. Well, sure enough, we do find in the fossil record hummingbirds preserved, pristine. They look exactly like modern-day hummingbirds, and they're in Europe of all places. So those were living in the areas over across the pond, and those would have gotten onto Noah's Ark. And then when they migrated to the Americas after they got off of Noah's Ark, uh, most of them went extinct in um, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, and so forth. I wonder why they have prospered here. Because there's sure a lot in my backyard. I see lots of them. Yeah. Now, okay, are you, you're in Florida. Are you in Florida? Right. And in yeah, Missouri, so you probably have... at, at my home in Missouri, we had so many around our flowers. Yes. Well, all over the East Coast, we see these ruby-throated hummingbirds. Yes. And, oh, they're just so beautiful. They Green photograph well. With a, they do. But you, but you know what? You have to, I don't know if you've noticed this, you have to catch them at just the right time to get the ruby throat because the red on their throat is, it shines through refraction. So the sunlight has to hit it at just the right angle must have for that lucky. red throat to glow like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I must have been lucky in the right place, right time. Yeah, but, yeah. But again, I use extremely good camera, high quality camera, and it, you know, I can stop them. Well, for sure. But I think I think you enjoy photography just as I do. Yes, sir. I want to see them. I want to. I mean, I can <laughs> stare at these pictures, but you know, I like yeah. to take all all sorts of birds. You know, I I've got to try to find this spiritually. How do you? teach this there's a there's a bigger lesson here than wow what a creation what a bird what what do we know about this scripturally that god would do this what i know the the sparrow and you know i'd i'd say it comes along the same lines but still what would you say to others that say how can you deny the the existence of god who could make this little bird yeah, well, of course, everybody can look at this bird, and some people might say that it happened by But we know that these design features require a designer, that these engineering features inside this bird requires a divine engineer. Uh, so there's no way that we can really question this in our heart of hearts. You mentioned it. Paul says all you have to do is he told the Romans, just look around you. Everything is not only showing God's power, but the Godhead itself. 
So everything around us in creation is pointing us back to God's divine attributes. And what did Jesus say? He told us that we can look at these birds and we can talk about how well they're cared for and how good they are and how beautiful they are. But if God cares enough about them, then what does he think about you? Because you know what? You're made in his image. You are wonderfully and fearfully made with a purpose. And so when we look at just that tiniest bird on earth and see that design, that mm-hmm. complexity, and God's love and provision, then think of how much he cares about us. Yes. So with that introduction to you and you know, pressing forward, I told you in the pre-interview and I'm going to tell all my audience now, we're going to have David on once a month as long as he's available and not traveling and working. We're going to have him on. So we're going to not get to everything today. We're going to get to some things, but whatever we get to, we're going to do it. We're going to go deep. And I just happen to know that you recently returned from a dinosaur dig. So we're going to go from hummingbirds to dinosaurs on this show. You just got back a few <laughs> days ago from a dinosaur dig in Kansas and being a Midwestern kid. I know that there's lots of dinosaur finds in Kansas, but tell us about your dig. What are you up to? Uh, You've had one in Colorado. You're doing some stuff in Texas. And, of course, all the paleontological, if I said that right, the sites in Kansas. So tell us about it. (laughs) You got it. You got it exactly right. Yeah, you know, uh, it sounds like uh, hummingbirds to dinosaurs is a big jump. But you know what we're really looking at? It's both biology. It's just one is living biology, and the other is paleontology, which is the study of dead things that used to be alive, and they're found within the rock layers. So there really is a connection between the two, and every year I go out to Kansas, and I lead a paleontological dig. Uh, this year, I had over 40 people. Uh, most of them had no idea. They'd, never, they'd always dreamed of digging up bones in the past. Uh, even as a child, maybe it was their dream, but uh, they'd never gotten the opportunity and they had no experience. Well, I spent four days teaching them how to find these fossils in the field. Uh, then I taught them how to dig around them very carefully, how to preserve them, how to use uh, polyvinyl acetates and other chemicals that we use on the sample, how to uh, trench around the sample and create a plaster jacket that covers up these big bones and these big fossils, and then how to safely pull it out of the field and bring it back to the lab. And then usually I have a seminar day uh, in this experience as well, where I teach everyone the implications of what we've dug up. And long story short, in the middle of Kansas, this is far western Kansas, there is a place where most of it is flat. This almost looks like Badlands. And it's called the Niobrara Formation. There's all of this chalky material that you can just go for miles walking down through these canyons made of chalk, crumbly chalk. And everywhere you step, you can't take more than five steps without stepping on a fossil. Yeah. Whether that be millions of fossilized clams uh, or whether that be giant 40 or 50 foot long marine predator animals. Wow. Uh, we have found at least portions of all of these creatures in the middle of western Kansas. And I might add, 
Dr. Green, you know, Western Kansas, that's about a thousand miles from the nearest ocean, about yes. 2,500 feet above sea level. What in the world are all of these marine creatures, millions of clams, fossil fish? I, I mean, it's stunning, and I've heard it before, and I knew it because I've been up there. But, I mean, there's nothing in Kansas, including football. You know, they, <laughs> they just don't do anything in Kansas. And why there's so many. Of course, there's dinosaur museums. That's kind of cool. But there's yeah. not much else. I mean, it's a it's a drive through at state, you know. It pretty much is. And, yeah. and I don't mean that, that disrespectfully so to Kansas at all. There's some good cities there, and there's a lot there. But for the significance of your finds, how deep are you all digging now? How deep into the earth are you? Well, uh, we are, in most cases, less than 50 feet below the topsoil. But because of these canyons, what we look for are slightly eroded areas where maybe we see one big vertebra or backbone of one of these creatures. Hmm. Then we say, hey, I bet you if we dig back into the cliff, there's more. And usually there's more. Because you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you know what you're doing and right. what you're looking for. So can the average dude just go to Kansas and start digging? Do they protect no, it? Uh, you have to have licenses and be, see, be in a school? I have private landowners uh, that I wow. work with and that I've developed relationships with. In most cases, you have to have um, at least a guide or some expertise. And that's that's kind of the point of my annual paleo dig is to give 40 people the opportunity to learn the process so that then, hey, maybe we've got some young people in the group who are our future paleontologists of America. And maybe and they, they'll go to school. Exactly. Is there a paleontology school there in Kansas? Does KU have a school, K-State? Uh, you know what? I think uh, over at uh, Fort Hayes, at Hayes, at the university over there, uh, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that there is a paleontological um, a course they give. You know, even so, a lot of the paleontology is given from a secular perspective. Absolutely. They'll tell you that all of these animals, they just happened. And the the odd thing is that they'll say, they'll say, well, Dr. Green, you know, we're finding all of these uh, these marine fossils, these big sea dragons and clams and 18-foot-long fish in Kansas. So they'll say, well, we know there must have been an ocean at some point. There must have been a lot of water over Kansas at some point. But the second you mention, well, hang on a second, there's, there's a, a reference in the book of Genesis, in the historical book of Genesis, which is divinely inspired, by yeah. the way. What's the reference? God wrote the book of Genesis. Yes. He tells us about a flood that would have covered the entire earth, yeah. and it would have buried creatures very quickly within these layers of muds and sediments and uh, chalk and all of that. Well, that's exactly what we're finding in Kansas. And it shows us that there was a lot of water all over the earth. In the past, I believe it points us right back to what Genesis is talking about. Well, again, it's it's all amazing, and I'm still stuck on clams in Kansas. You know that. You know. <laughs> so, give me a reasonable explanation. What do you think? How I mean, because again, it's not very deep. No, that's not like a Noah flood. You know, that's a well, or is it? Well, I see. I believe it is. You do. Uh, we have to remember that before Noah's flood, 
there was uh, this was the original configuration of the world. So uh, if you go back to the history in the uh, first book of Genesis, it tells mm-hmm. us that the entire earth uh, was made of was water basically, and that God spoke, and miraculously the dry land appeared. It raised above the water. So there was probably a supercontinent, uh, a very very large body of land where. Uh, land dinosaurs, mammals, humans, all of that were living where the Garden of Eden was. And then there was there were these large shallow seas all over the rest of the world. Well, uh, we believe that this area of Kansas was probably one of those shallow seas right on the banks of the pre-flood continent. And it really did have all of these sea dragons and fish and millions of clams living along the banks there. And the flood comes along, and it buries those under layers of sediment, and it washes up on the land, and it buries them so quickly that it preserves sometimes their stomach contents. There's wow. a, a, a big museum in uh, Hayes, Kansas, called the Sternberg Museum, where within a few miles of where I dig in Kansas, a few miles of where I lead these paleo digs, um, a fish was found, an 18-foot-long zephactinus, a scissor-tail fish, with a 5-foot-long gillicus inside of the stomach of that fish, perfectly preserved. So in other words, the stomach acids had not even set in to um, uh, dissolving the fish that had just been eaten inside of this big fish's belly. That means that that fish must have been buried very quickly during some catastrophic process, I believe it was probably the flood of Noah's day. Well, you sure got backing for it, and I, I would never have guessed it. Uh, and don't think of the United States being in the flood, you know. It, but again, it was connected to Africa, probably, and yeah, you know, like you said, one landmass. Right. So I get one that. I, it's, it's not a big stretch to get there. I've got time for another question. I don't want to run over because your material is so good. I want to not have to rush it, but you've opened up the, the Christian viewpoint of this. So tell me about dinosaurs in the Bible. Do you, do you see dinosaurs discussed in the Word? Yeah, absolutely. Several, several different instances. Um, there are two creatures that really do fit the description of dinosaurs. One of those is Behemoth, yes. uh, and Behemoth is mentioned in the book of Job. It's God himself talking to Job. So Job is going through this, I mean, just like we as Christians, we go through these really difficult periods of time and these challenges and these trials, and oftentimes we're like, why God? I mean, what, you know, why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? Well, the same thing is going on with Job, and, and he's talking to God himself, and God, what does he do to encourage Job? <laughs> what God does is he starts speaking about how big God is, about how big he is, about how massive his creation is. And he makes Job look small, not in order to put him down, but in order for Job to understand, look, I don't have it all in control. I'm in God's hands. So one of the things that God mentions uh, to try to show just how big he is, is he said, Job, Look at this creature called Behemoth. I created him with you, and he is chief among all his ways. He's this giant, giant beast 
that has bones that are like bronze. He's got a ton of strength in his belly, and he has a tail so big that it moves like a cedar tree. And people throughout history, uh, many Bible commentators, they said, well, well, we don't know of an animal like this. So maybe it's an elephant, even though that doesn't have a tail like a cedar tree. An elephant's got like a little flyswatter tail. Well, until we started finding these gigantic creatures in, um, in Argentina and in Colorado and in many other places around the world, these creatures are the most massive creatures we have ever discovered. They're in the rock record. They're giant dinosaurs uh, that had a long neck, and they had a tail that was so big and so thick, it could have easily looked like a cedar tree moving with these dinosaurs. Some of them were over 140 feet long. My goodness. So, yes. That's I believe the (laughs) dinosaurs in the Bible. But it's a lesson for us as Christians, isn't it? Because it's God telling us, Look at all of these things that I've made. Do you think that I'm not going to take care of you? Do you think that you can control everything? You're in my hands. All you have to do is trust me. I will take you through this challenge. I will get you through this next trial. No matter how difficult it is, just trust me. And so there's a lesson to be learned even there. I'd say so. A good lesson. You know, brother, I, I wish we weren't out of time, but we are. But I don't want to close without you giving me a takeaway that is very practical. So because of this knowledge and this information, how would you use this today to give Christians something to do? All the folks that listen to us on this podcast, give them a, a way forward before sunset. Go do this. That if you understand and connect with what you heard here between the hummingbird and the dinosaur, what can you do to appreciate this and to understand it better to uh, make this practical for us, Professor? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this is something that anybody can do because all you have to do is get outside and observe. God's creation makes it abundantly clear that there has to be a creator. But you see, we're attacked by the atheistic community, and they say, oh, David, you just believe in this this uh, book of myths written by ancient goat herders, and it's a fairy tale. You know, to which, when I'm speaking in churches, when I'm at conferences, uh, I always respond to that by saying, listen, you have a portion of this correct. The Bible is a collection of books written by many people over thousands of years, and it was written by ancient shepherds and ancient poets, and ancient kings. They weren't scientists, yet when they talked about science, they got it 100% correct. It means that the only way they could have gotten that knowledge is through divine revelation. The Lord gave them the words to write down. So when we go out and we witness to our, uh, our, our co-worker who's a skeptic, or maybe we talk to that family member who has has kind of gone the other way, and they're questioning. Or maybe we're talking, maybe it's a young person right now, and they're talking to their their college uh, uh, schoolmates or high schoolmates who are questioning, and they're saying, why do you believe in that book of fables called the Bible? Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe? This, this is giving us evidence, tangible evidence, that we can use to witness 
to those around us, and that we can use to strengthen and deepen our faith in Christ. It's something that we can use so that we realize that it's not a blind faith, that the evidence is all around us, and it's all pointing us not back to just the God of the Bible, but who the Bible says that God is. The Bible says that the, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. It's talking about Jesus Christ. It says that he was there at the very beginning, creating all things, that without him nothing is made that was made. So in other words, Jesus is not only our creator, but he's our redeemer, and he wants us to be a part of his family for eternity. That's the reason he's made a way. Well, brother, that's a great place to end this podcast. It's not going to end our shows. We're going to have you every month, depending on your schedule and availability. And I'm going to have a surprise for our audience. The next time that David goes on a dig, we're going to do a daily update on what he's seeing at the dig, what he's doing. And uh, we're going to be live and in person for a podcast and uh, be a part of this paleontological dig and learn from it. So that's going to come. And anything that Dave is up to, I'm going to hear about it. So, brother, thank you for spending time with us this afternoon. I look forward to talking with you again uh, in just a few weeks. And just really appreciate you spending the time with us. Yes, sir. Can, can I can I encourage those? We have a lot of free resources. Well, yes, please do that. If, if anyone wants our uh, free weekly email update or our free bi-monthly magazine, which will hopefully help give you some of these tools to strengthen your faith, uh, it, it's all 100% free. You just go to davidreeves.com, davidreeves.com, and you can sign up there. Can we find your books there? Yeah, you can find, uh, I've written two books. You can find those there. Uh, we've produced over 120 videos. Those are, it's all linked up right there. Wow, I'm going to find it for sure. What about your podcast? What day do you put it up normally? Yeah, I think that one goes up every, it's either every Tuesday or Thursday. <laughs> I will have okay. to check. One but of those it, days. It's on the Charisma Media Network. It is uh, the David Reeves Show, and uh, we really we really try to just make science and history fun and connect that with the Christian life. And uh, what about TBN? Is that show on nightly, weekly? How often are you on TBN? Yeah, TBN is every Saturday at, I think it's 1.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. Uh, uh, and That's every Saturday. And okay. then on NRB Network on DirecTV, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Prime yeah. Time. So set your recorder to grab it and get a copy of it and sit with the kids and watch it, right? Be a good science For class. For sure. Hey, you, and they, they can catch it any time. Uh, all of our programming airs 24-7 on our network, Genesis Science Network. It's available on Roku, Amazon, Fire TV, online. Just go to the website or download the app, and our content plays 24-7, uh, absolutely free of charge. All right. I'm going to go find it on Amazon. That's the one I've got on that list of yours. I've seen you on TBN here and there just by accident, but I'm going to be intentional about uh, finding out more of what you teach. It's it's just outstanding material. Well, thank you, Dr. Green. I cannot wait to uh, to share with you some more. Okay, we're going to do it in less than a month, I hope, as soon as we can get it scheduled. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Green Lines Podcast. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. On behalf of my competent producer, Adley, we want to say to you that Jesus came that you might have life 
and that you might have it more abundantly. And to do that, go out and take a picture of a hummingbird. Do that today. That's your homework. God bless you all.